0: Welcome to episode 376 of The Recovery Show. I received this beautiful, moving share from a listener, and I wanted to share it with you. Hi there. I'm calling in response to a listener who shared at the end of episode 369 about healing through writing. The question this listener had was, if anybody out there had experience with the loved one in their life who was an alcoholic, drinking much more than they thought, or not knowing at all that they were an alcoholic, and that's me. I married my husband almost three years ago now, and today... I'm going to his in-person memorial for his death of alcoholism. When I met my husband, I had decided that I was never going to get married and that I probably wouldn't meet a man who was strange enough (laughs) or weird enough, could understand my heart, could understand my challenges in life. When he marched into my life or swept into my life, I was swept off my feet with him. He was a wonderful man in many ways, very charming, very loving, seemed to have a heart as huge as the ocean, had a wonderful laugh, could tell incredible stories, would just make you feel comfortable. (laughs) And I didn't know then that that's really what I was looking for. I was looking for safety, and I was looking for comfort. There was one point at the beginning of our marriage when we were going camping, and I'm not a huge fan of camping, but being codependent and not in recovery, as I was back then, I went camping with him, even though I didn't really like it. I just wanted to be with him, which I still haven't figured out if that's actually codependent or not. But that's another story. While we were camping, I opened up a water bottle that he had brought with him and thought it was full of water and was going to get a drink of water and it turned out it was vodka. And so I asked him, Why do you need this much vodka on our trip and why at one in the afternoon? I don't remember being angry or scared. All I remember is that never happened again. I didn't think much of it. My husband was an analogist. He loved wine and how to make it, but we never drank too much. I do remember drinking more wine with him than I had before in my life. I do enjoy a glass once in a while, but I never remember him drinking more than half a bottle or a couple of glasses. And every time I asked him, he just would say that he was taking care of himself. I must've had some recovery back then. I think that's one reason I could survive The marriage and then losing my husband, I must have picked up some recovery somehow through my counseling that I'd had or through life in general, because I somehow knew that I would go crazy if I tried too much to get into his life. But one thing I did note is that he never went to the doctor at the time that I knew him. And never went to the dentist. I thought that was odd because he really seemed to enjoy eating fairly well and at least uh, pretended to take care of his body. I think because he was so intelligent. I mean, this man, one of the reasons I fell in love with him is he had an intelligence that was probably genius and maybe i'm putting him on the pedestal here but he was a very intelligent scientific mind whenever i had a question for him he would always have an answer and i remember one day when i was i was worried about his drinking so he must have had more wine than i realized and see this is where my denial i can Go a little crazy here thinking, was I in denial or was I just so in love? Was I just enjoying life so much? And I remember these beautiful evenings where we would make art together and drink a couple glasses of wine. And at the same time, I was seeing his health deteriorate before my very eyes and he wasn't doing anything about it. I actually... Count myself very lucky that I did not know that my husband was drinking copious amounts of vodka and hiding it from me because then I would have had evidence, hard evidence as to why he was deteriorating so quickly. And I probably would have had to leave him because my integrity would not have allowed me to stay. But I did not know and he kept getting um, thinner and thinner and I didn't think much of it because he said he had allergies, he said he always had allergies and he always lost weight in the spring and I said, would you go to the doctor and he wouldn't go to the doctor Right before he went to the hospital, I remember i I was never mad at him because I love him, and maybe I was figuring out then how to be a loving parent, I don't know, but or a loving friend or a loving partner. <laughs> There's a lot going on there, I know we had yellow stained glass in our kitchen. It's one of the most beautiful rooms, the kitchen and dining room in our beautiful home. And COVID had just hit and we were all on lockdown and neither of us were going into work. Because we had those yellow stained glass windows in our dining room, I didn't know or my mind, I thought my mind was playing tricks on me. I didn't know that my husband was starting to show signs of jaundice. And again, maybe I was afraid. Maybe this whole COVID thing was messing with my mind. I didn't want to admit to myself that maybe my husband was not wanting to live or I didn't know what might be happening. And I didn't know how to think about it or to talk about it. So I did mention my husband's health to my pastor at church, I remember hearing, well, everybody is in charge of themselves as an adult. I actually also remember calling a doctor's office, several doctor's offices, and seeing if there was any way that a doctor could come visit our home and just check on my husband. And the answer that I got back was that unless my husband called the doctor himself or went into the office himself, they couldn't come out unless it was an emergency. I actually had spoken to my husband and asked if I should call 911 and he said that he would turn the paramedics away and that it would be a wasted visit. So my hands were tied and yet I stayed with him. And when I look back, At that, I think it was actually my higher power working ahead of time. I think my, my role in all of this, and this is where I don't understand my higher power. I think my role in all of this was to accompany my husband as he passed away. And I'm humbled by that. And it's a big mystery. And I know now that I'm not supposed to understand it. So. On April 23rd, my husband couldn't get out of bed, so he couldn't sit up. And at this point, he was so jaundiced that when I saw him in the bedroom, there was no doubt he was jaundiced. I called 911, and the paramedics were wonderful, and they recommended that if they could help Get him up that I would drive to him to the hospital because they said that would save the cost of the ambulance. And I'll tell you, it's amazing when things like this happen in life. I didn't realize how many little angels there are, but it turns out I think that the cost of the ambulance would have been something like (laughs) $3,500 to drive a 35 minute drive. And so those paramedics who told me about that, they were the first of the angels along this journey. And so my husband, he went to the hospital and I think my first wake up call, it was really a terrible time because he had to uh, stay in the hospital. And the challenge was of course, that COVID was only about a month old at that time and everybody was really scared, including my husband, of COVID. And I couldn't go in with him. So I had to drop him off at the hospital, and I was scared, and I didn't know what was going on. And that afternoon, I called and called and called and couldn't get in touch with a nurse, and finally a nurse called me back. And she was just harried and exhausted, which I'm Don't blame her, but I remember her exhausted, harried voice saying to me, Ma'am, your husband cannot drink another drop of alcohol ever again. And then she said, you need to do what you can do to take care of yourself, and you need to do what you need to do to get on with your life. And I was floored. I had some seeds somehow, I think just from living life, in my mind about codependency and alcoholism. And that evening, I signed in to a Zoom Al-Anon group. I think it must have been two or three in the morning. I connected with some Al-Anon people and I told my story and I started crying, of course, and it was wonderful to be accepted and and held. I think something in me, someone, <laughs> something in me knew that it wasn't going to turn out well, but I still wanted to hold out hope, of course. We had a wonderful doctor who took care of my husband at the hospital And we tried all sorts of procedures. It turned out my husband had a genetic liver condition called hemochromatism, which is a condition of the liver where the liver cannot process alcohol very easily. In fact, people with hemochromatism shouldn't have more than six ounces of alcohol a day. As I learned more about this condition, I thought even if he was only drinking the wine that he drank, he was drinking something like 12 ounces more a day than he should. That was a really hard time when my husband was in the hospital. And yeah, there were people there who were taking care of him and I could call him. And he did go through a really distressing time of detox. Where he was having hallucinations and to me, my story of our marriage was, it was blissful, it was calm. It was probably the first time in my life where I was cohabitating with somebody who was really dedicated to peace. Now that I know that this person, my husband, was using alcohol as a way to... Achieve that peace. I still think that it was the first peaceful relationship with any human being I had. So that was my story of our relationship and it was really beautiful. And when my husband was in the hospital and all of this alcoholism was becoming uncovered or at least really becoming conscious to me, I was amazed. Again, I haven't been angry. I think I just started to feel a lot of grief. I started to understand some things about my husband. While he was in the hospital, his children came, who I'd met before. But they started to tell me stories that I hadn't known. Like when he was younger, he would drink mouthwash. And he himself had told me a couple stories about his childhood that I wondered about. And now I wonder, hmm, maybe he was already drinking when he was a preteen. And yet he handled himself so well and he had a wonderful job. He could speak like an artist, scientist. It was wonderful to be around him. So with all of this coming up and my beloved husband thinking that his hospital bed is going to eat him and me not being able to be there with him. Actually, in some ways, I think that's a blessing because I would have really had a hard time being with him in the hospital in this state that he was in. From what I could tell, it was really terrible for him going through the detox. Anyway, so there were ups and downs in his time in the hospital. He was there about a month, a little bit, a little bit less than a month. There was always a little bit of hope until the end when his doctor called and said, We think it's time. So that was the first time I got to go into the hospital to see my husband. And that was when he and the doctor and I were having the conversation about his hospice. And that was really hard. The doctor had spoken to me about the damage that the toxins from his liver had done to his brain. And he spoke to me about how he was going to act from then on was like a young child and that it would still be him, but his degree of understanding would be like a child. Oddly, I didn't find that incredibly distressing. I mean, the whole thing was really full of grief, but I think that the part of him that I fell in love with first was his childlike love for life. So he never really disappeared for me up until the time when he took his last breath. I miss him and he's still all around me. So I walked with him through hospice and was able to bring him home, thank goodness. I had to go through a lot. One thing I'd like to share with listeners is if you go through something like this with a loved one, especially in the time of COVID and hospitals, make sure that you have good advocates who can help you look through all the possibilities. There was one point where things were really overwhelming with how we were going to care for him as he came home. And one of the options, I didn't know until somebody spelled it out very clearly for me. If I had chosen one of the options, I would not have been able to see him. So he would have died without his loved ones. I find that in that time when you're in distress and in grief, it's really hard to find people sometimes who will tell you in really clear language what it means to make the decisions you're making for your loved one. So I was really happy to have him at home. He transitioned in the place that he loved in that same dining room where we spent so many times with our friends, so much time with our friends telling stories and laughing and ironically drinking wine and (laughs) playing games and just enjoying people and enjoying each other. As things progressed and he passed on, and I grieved. Long story short, I needed to give up our house. My husband uh, didn't have a will, so that made things a little challenging or a lot challenging. So I needed to organize having the house sold, and it was very overwhelming. So I hired a company to help me move, which was a really good decision. Another thing I learned is that especially in times of distress, it's so important to ask for help. A couple of other angels (laughs) came to our home and they were helping me move the biggest furniture. And there was a bookshelf that I had given my husband right after our wedding. I thought it was perfect because it fit his records just perfectly. And the only way it could fit in his office is if we put it on a corner. And he said, oh, that's perfect because I can store my skis behind there. And I didn't think anything of it. It was this bookshelf that the movers were moving. After they moved it, I was upstairs doing something. And I heard, hey lady, you better come down here. And when I did, I saw... All over the floor of my husband's office, plastic one-gallon bottles of empty vodka containers. There were hundreds of them. And when I thought back over time to how many days we'd been married, I think there were enough bottles there since I had given my husband that bookshelf that he had probably gone through close to one gallon a day. Now that I think back, I had seen a tiny flask behind his computer, but I had seen some behavior like that from my grandfather, and my grandfather lived a nice long life, and I thought maybe a little flask of vodka at night when he's working, who's to blame somebody for that? There weren't any signs, really, that my husband was consuming the huge amount of alcohol that he was. And when I think back to how much alcohol he was drinking and yet still how smart he was being and how well he was doing his job, it really amazes me and, again, gives me a strange respect and and a deep sadness about who who he was in his story and why he needed to drink that much. And of course, it's a disease, but it started somewhere. And that's just something I have to give up to my higher powers because I probably will never have those answers. The answers that I do get about his story are gentle ones. They're when I go walking in the woods, which we used to love to do, I feel the trees surrounding me, giving me a feeling of comfort like I had when I was with him. I feel the wind on my face. I hear the birds chirping and I see the signs of animals and I see all the wild plants around and I remember his love. And I think the biggest thing I am learning as I head to his memorial today is that I don't have to feel bad or guilty or think that I did anything wrong by not seeing what was happening. This was a man who was very complex who must have been, and well, I don't even know if he was in emotional pain. I don't know. He might have just been a happy guy (laughs) up until the end. He just drank a lot, and I didn't know. And again, I'm actually grateful that he hit it. And I think it was probably a good thing because I was able to walk with him to the end. I was able to be there when he took his last exhale. I was able to experience the beauty of his life as I got to experience it. And I wouldn't take it back. What I learned in Al-Anon is that this disease is cunning and it can make you feel like you don't know what you're doing. Because I think this is really just material that only our higher power can handle. I actually don't know. (laughs) What I was doing back then. And yet that still doesn't make it wrong what I did or what I believed or what I didn't know. And yet we can. And I did love somebody. And I still will always love him who was a high-functioning, severe alcoholic. And just because he was sick doesn't mean I will stop loving him. So... That's what I learned from my loved one who was drinking more than I thought. I don't think it was denial that I had of the alcohol because he hid it so well. I think it was denial that I had of his health and how he... I had my eyes wide open. He wasn't going to the doctor. I was not in denial about that. I think actually I was not in denial I think I just loved him so much that I wanted to be with him. And it was distressing, yes, when he wouldn't take care of himself, but I wanted to be with him. So, yes, alcoholism is really, really a big human challenge. And I just want to send my love out to all of you. And just to say that though this part in my life has been really messy, I, I wouldn't change it. The love that my husband could share and that we shared, even though it wasn't perfect. You know, what love is? What love is perfect? <laughs> Sending everybody lots of love and recovery, however that looks for you. Have a great life. Bye. Thank you for listening. For understanding, love, and peace growing you one day at a time.